All right, well, we're uh, going to begin in prayer, and as usual, um, I'm going to make this uh, probably a little different, but uh, we'll see. We're going to talk about women tonight a little bit, and the feminist movement, so uh, that's why I sat close to the door. <laughs> All right, we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, your word, your truth and the blessing that you are to us in so many ways. You provide, you, you give us um, hope, you give us redemption, you give us food, shelter, love, everything. All we have and are, it, it's yours. And Lord, we just want to give you our hearts now that we would learn and be able to praise you for what you do in our lives each and every day through Jesus Christ and his grace and mercy to us. Amen. Um, we are going to, uh, I don't know if any of you have gotten any Susan B. Anthony coins. I have a bunch of Susan B. Anthony coins, and thankfully they're worth nothing more than they were years ago, pretty much. So um, the reason I say that is Susan B. Anthony, I do not believe, is someone that we should be elevating as some great woman. Um, we do see her here, and... In the mid-1800s, she had basically joined forces with a lady named Elizabeth Stanton. And basically, it's often, she's often called as the brains of the feminist movement. And what's going to happen is you're going to see that I think this feminist movement is going to reveal ultimately the, the foundation of abortion and what has been going on where we have killed millions of children in, you know, that we shed every year uh, as a result of abortion. And so many churches do not want to talk about this because maybe people have had abortions in their churches. Uh, they don't want to talk about it because it's divisive. People stand on different areas. Well, I want you to know, first of all, if people, women have had these abortions, that's what Christ has done. He forgives. He heals. And, and that's just as important because women who have abortions oftentimes struggle in a lot of different ways. And it, their, their hope is only going to be found in Jesus. And they need him for that healing, the, that emotional healing that goes on. And as far as divisive goes, there is only one way to stand. And that is on the side of God's word. And that is the sanctity of life, period. And so if that divides, so be it. Um, that, that's the stand that I take because I believe that is the biblical stand. Um, so here we see, like I said, the founder of the liberation movement, Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Um, she said this, I obstinately refused to obey one with whom I supposed I was entering into an equal relationship in speaking of her marriage that if this is supposed to be an equal relationship, I'm not going to be submissive to that. And ultimately, we see that this kind of started with the ability and the right to vote, but this went far beyond voting rights, as you're about to see. Uh, that phrase where, that was very traditional in our weddings, you know, I promise to obey, she would not say that because it was... You know, obviously too um, male chauvinistic, I guess. 
and as a result, she removed that from her wedding vows. She later wrote what I just said here in relation to that. That's why she had that removed from her wedding vows. She wrote a book called The Woman's Bible. If you can't beat them, join them. In essence, basically, it's, it's this. Just as Jefferson had a Jefferson Bible, she thought I should have one too because I, this way I can put my views, my desires, my hopes, my beliefs in God's Word and make it say what I want to say. And sadly, that's what we see today with many Bible translations, honestly, is that they are being used as a means of, you know, pushing a doctrine or a belief or a societal, uh, cultural attitude. Uh, the NIV is an example, you know, removing gender-specific kind of things um, as a result of culture, not what God's Word says. Well, I want to show you first, let's go to some scripture here and look at what scripture says in regards to women. And as I talk about submissiveness tonight, I want you to understand, I'm not talking as a man saying, you need to submit because this is your role, as much as I'm saying, you should submit because there are blessings, and this is what anybody who cares for a woman will be telling you, because we want the best for you. Because the blessings are being robbed from our society today. It says this, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself now again just in case there are even women listening to this who are thinking oh what gives him the right to do this he didn't just talk about women here he talked about men too he talked about men and their failures and that one of the things that they were going to need to do is to love their wives. Women are never told to love their husbands. Why? Because it comes pretty naturally for a woman. woman. A woman loves easily. What she's always told to do is to respect and submit because that doesn't come easily. Now the man is always told to love because that's something he has to work at. It doesn't come easily for the man. And so both of us have things to work on here. But um, marriage needs to be understood with this relationship between Christ and the church. And that's really what Ephesians is telling us here. That God came, he, he sent his son, Yeshua Jesus, to basically protect and save his bride. He loved his bride, and that's why he came the way he did, to protect it. And that is what a husband is to do. I've talked about that when we were out at the river one time here in the, in the sense of how Adam, I believe, was protecting Eve in some really uh, profound ways there. But the bottom line is, is that means this, is men, if they're going to love their wives, the, the number one thing they can do is to lead their wives lovingly. And 
that means you don't dictate, but you lead. And that's what we're supposed to do. Just as Christ leads us in the church, his word, that that is the, the picture, the model in a marriage, something that we don't like to talk about today in our culture. 1 Peter 3.1 says this, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So sad to see that that's the case in many cases today where I see godly women coming to church and the husband staying home. The husband's not taking their role as a spiritual head seriously. And they're missing out on blessings, not only in their marriage, but in, in their life because that husband is failing in his role. But it goes on and it says, Your beauty, or when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. That means even if a husband is making poor, unwise decisions, not doing his job and being a male chauvinist, it means that there is a blessing for the wife who continues to serve and submit to him. I hate to see that. It's sad. But what God's word says is that there's still a blessing for the woman in that even. And to me, that's a huge thing. We shouldn't be afraid to submit. It shouldn't even be a bad word. I shouldn't have to apologize for even using that word. But I almost feel like I do in this society. Submit is such a terrible word. And yet, this is exactly what God says that we are to do to him. Okay, Christ and the church, the church is to submit to him. And so don't underestimate the threat of the woman's lib movement because I believe that the woman's lib movement has basically all but robbed women of amazing, tremendous blessings in our country today. And this is not to say that it's easy and it is not to say that there aren't women who are in some very terrible marriages or marriages where husbands are not being that spiritual head, like I said. It doesn't make any difference. You still have a blessing. Now, going back to uh, Elizabeth Stanton, Katie Stanton here, in her Women's Bible, she said, the Bible and the church have been the greatest stumbling block in the way of women's emancipation. I don't think it's an accident that Satan used this as a means of trying to destroy the family. Because this is the very foundation of not only the woman missing out on the blessing, the husband missing out on the blessing, which means the children miss out on the blessing, which means the country, our society misses out on the blessing, which means the church misses out on the blessing. It's a big deal. She said, self-development is a higher duty than self-sacrifice. 
This is the ideology that she was promoting and propagating out there. Self-sacrifice, well, that's exactly what Jesus said was self-sacrifice, right? That's what he did for us, was to give his very life to, to save his bride. And she's saying self-development, education, you know, power, that's way more important and much more liberating than self-sacrifice. There's a greater blessing in that. Well, that's the lie of the devil. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This is whether you be a man or a woman or a child. It is better to consider the needs of others than to take care of our own. This is what God's Word says. This is what Christ uh, did as an example for us as well. It says, but each of you to, his, to the interests of the others, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This is why when Jesus came, he washed the feet of his disciples, and he said, now you guys go do that. I am showing you how you are to serve one another. And this is how the body of Christ is supposed to be. We're supposed to be loving one another, not just wives to their husbands, but all of us to each other. Now, I've heard, you know, with all the mask mandates and all of this kind of thing, this type of thing being taken out of context and say, well, we've got to be love others and therefore protect them by wearing the mask. Well, first of all, not to get too political here, but if it really helped, I'd do it. But that's not the issue. And the second thing is, is what we're supposed to be doing is loving others, not just by, you know, not letting them get a flu, but this means, first of all, loving them enough to hold them accountable to their sins. Loving them enough to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ rather than just giving them a Thanksgiving meal. But that without the gospel, your love does nothing. This is the problem I have with many of these Zionists that are out there trying to get these Jews back to Israel. And they think they're doing God some favor because they're being nice to the Jews, getting them to their holy land. No, not unless you give them the gospel. What God wants is for those Jews to hear that Jesus is their Messiah. That's what they want. This is really the context of what we're supposed to do. Yes, loving people, being kind to them, but that's not enough. We need to give them the gospel and hold to the truth of God's word, hold them accountable to that truth. Well, we then see the women's, the women's lib movement kind of died out, started dying out in the 1920s. And then around the late 1950s, it started picking up again. In the 1960s, we had Betty Friedan come along. And then she was kind of basically taking that same evil spirit and raising it up again. And what she was doing is she says that uh, in chapter one of her book here called The Feminine Mystique, she says, the problem that has no name, that's the, the title of this section in the book, 
Strange new problems are being reported in the growing generations of children whose mothers were always there, driving them around, helping them with their homework, an inability to endure pain or discipline or pursue any self-sustained goal of any sort, a devastating boredom with life. Now, I'm not saying that probably every mother doesn't have those thoughts from time to time. That this monotony of, um, you know, the day-to-day -day chores and, and taking care of the needs of others above your own. When I see what Scripture says about loving others and doing all of those kind of things, I see the role of a woman and being submissive to that role and serving others, one of the greatest roles there is in society. It isn't this lowly servant thing. This is, this is the, the attitude of Jesus Christ himself, the King of glory. That's the role a woman has. That's beautiful. And that is to be honored. That is to be uh, praised. And it's not in our society. Instead, she sees it as boredom. So what had happened here then in the 60s is you weren't finding women being encouraged to stay home, to teach their children, to love their husbands, as Scripture said. No, she says, this will only sow discontentment. Titus 2.3 says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. In other words, if they don't do this, what's going to happen? the word of God is going to be maligned. 1 Timothy 5.14 says, So I counsel younger wid widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. This verse kind of here tells you quite clearly what it means if we don't manage our homes, if we don't follow the roles God has given us, who is getting the worship and honor and glory? Satan. Is it any wonder Satan has tried to attack the role of a woman and make a woman who, who loves their husband and takes care of their kids to make them feel as if it's meaningless and bored and not worthy of any praise at all? Satan knew that this is one of the foundational steps that he had to destroy. This mundane housework that, uh, you know, this uh, Friedman or Frieden calls it, the Bible calls noble. So cleaning the carpet, washing your kids' face is not irrelevant. It's important in bringing honor to God himself, as well as to your husband's in your family. She went on and she said this in The Feminine Mystique. It was a strange stirring, a sense of dissatisfaction, a yearning that women suffered in the middle of the 20th century in the United States. Each suburban housewife struggled with it alone 
as she made the bed, shopped for groceries, matched slipcover material, ate peanut butter sandwiches with her children, chauffeured Cub Scouts and brownies, laid beside her husband at night. She was afraid to ask even of herself the silent question, is this all? Again, I believe that every woman here has probably had that very thought. Because I believe Satan wants to make you dissatisfied with the honorable job and position that he has put you in. I think he wants to rob you of the blessings that God has for you. By breeding discontentment in your mind, letting the culture continue to breed it even further, and destroy the noble act of motherhood, making it a prison cell rather than giving you wings to fly. I think that this has had a dramatic effect on society, and as I said before, I think it affects abortion in a great way as well, the Women's Live movement. Because I know that Satan has had his target on the woman for a long, long time. One of the primary targets of the women, and we talked about this when I talked about the Garden of Eden, that he used the woman to get to the man because he knew that the woman would have the man's heart. He knew that a woman has such power and such influence that he put the target on you. And that's why he wants to sow this discontentment. And this is why it's important that a woman knows the influence that they have and the power they have in being a godly wife, a godly woman. I want to take and show you some statistics here from a, a, a DVD that some, uh, a, basically a Canadian documentary called Hush. I don't know if you've seen it or not. If not, it's, it's incredible. And what it does, it's going to show you the connection between breast cancer and abortion. So I'm going to switch gears here a little bit because it does tie in. It's the woman's movement getting the women out in the workforce so that they would not have children. We don't want you to have too many children, I mean, because that's being very irresponsible, right? Yeah. <laughs> Quite the opposite. It is a blessing to have a full quiver. It is a blessing to be at home. But you see, that's the, the mantra of society. And by keeping women out of the home, it has been keeping them from having children. And you know what that's done? It has added curse upon curse upon curse, one of which is breast cancer. Let me show you some amazing statistics here. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Click of a button. Not too much at all. Yeah, not too much at all. Here's what the stats show. Now, you will never hear this from, you know, the FDA or the CDC or any of these other places because you watch the, the DVD, Hush, you're going to find out why. It is politics. It's always politics. The same thing with the corona. It's politics. Here's the thing. If a woman has a first full-term birth when she is at a younger age, her chances of breast cancer 
are significantly decreased, as you're going to see. A woman having a first child by the age of 18 is 30, uh, compared to like a 30-year-old, is two and a half times less likely to get breast cancer because you had a child at a younger age. Now, you're going to understand why this is here coming up. But what we do is we say, you women, because you need to, you know, we have to hear you roar, it's important that you go and get your education first before family. Get your career before you, you worry about a family, right? And as a result, women are having children at later ages, and their breast cancer chances go up by two and a half times. Now, that's just the beginning of it. There is a huge correlation of abortion to breast cancer increase. 1970, do you know only 1 in 12 women develop breast cancer in their lifetime? Today, it's 1 in 8. Now, what's fascinating is this drastic rise in breast cancer occurred exactly 10, afters, 10 years after the legalization of abortion. Now, Maybe that in itself isn't enough information, but as you're going to continue here, you will see it makes a huge difference. In the United States, there was a rise in breast cancer, um, as I said, 10 years after the legalization of abortion. From ages 25 to 39 in women, from 1976 to 2009, it doubled their risk of breast cancer. No other age group had this increase in breast cancer. This is the age group in which most of the abortions were taking place, and this is the age group only in which breast cancer skyrocketed. Not only that, we see it's not just in the United States, but it was in England, it's in Wales, it was around the world where we see the exact same increase in breast cancer following when abortion was legalized. Um, the green line there shows you the increase in breast cancer, and then the other ones you can see, the, the red and the gray are the abortion, uh, increase in abortion numbers. We see here as well African-American women who are basically targeted for abortions, and if you do any study on Planned Parenthood, that was one of their primary goals was to kill black children. Okay, and so it just, it's mind-boggling to think why people don't see this. But anyway, the bottom line is they're four times more likely to have an abortion. They had an 18% increase of breast cancer. Why? Well, because they were the ones. Okay, more black people having abortions, more black people get breast cancer. Just how it works. Now, let me explain why this is. Because the more estrogen and, and pro, progesterone that is a, a woman has in her life, that exposes you or increases your chances of breast cancer, the estrogen and the progesterone. Now, what happens is that these chemicals or enzymes, whatever you'd call those, uh, these hormones, really, these hormones are what stimulate breast tissue cell division. When a cell divides, that's when you have the opportunity for mutations to take place or mistakes or errors to happen in your DNA when the cells divide. So pregnancy, when you get pregnant, that stimulates the production of estrogen and progesterone. 
causing this rapid cellular division to, to, contain, uh, to take place in the breast um, tissue increasing. So by 20 weeks of pregnancy, your estrogen and progesterone levels increase by 20 times. We know this causes mistakes, and yet we know pregnancy increases what causes the mistakes. Pretty simple. There are two other hormones that come during pregnancy, however, that will decrease the risk of breast cancer. One of them is called HCG, and it is produced by the growing fetus inside, let me rephrase that, the growing child inside that womb. So as that child is growing, it is producing something that is like an antidote to breast cancer. HPL is the other one, and it prepares the breast for milk uh, between 32 and 40 weeks. So both of these uh, things basically make breasts immune to the cancer cells. So to recap, as estrogen and progesterone levels go up, you have an increased chance of getting breast cancer. So God provided a way that as that child develops in the womb, that it is an antidote for that very problem. And therefore, you will not have that breast cancer. So, in a healthy pregnancy, oftentimes if it's terminated before 32 weeks, which if you recall here, it's between 32 and 40 weeks when this uh, H, um, or HPL comes about, if you terminate that pregnancy through an abortion, uh, before the 32 weeks, the increased estrogen and progesterone is still there and there's no antidote to protect you from getting breast cancer. Because it doesn't reach its full term, it leaves the breast tissue vulnerable for those cancer cells. So women under 18 who had abortions past nine weeks of pregnancies, look at this statistic, 800% increase of breast cancer if you are under 18 and have an abortion. For women who had abortions under 18 who also had a family history of breast cancer, every single one, you have a 100% chance of all these statistics of getting breast cancer. That is hard to argue with. And by the way, this is not, like I said, this isn't just in America. These stats are from around the world. So the under 18 category increased because they have all this potential of cancer cells without the benefit of God's antidote by having that child be born. So people say, well, what about miscarriages then? If you have a miscarriage, well, most miscarriages, the reason you have a miscarriage is because it's a lack of hormones, like the progesterone. And that's why you have a miscarriage. That's the number one reason for it, they say. Therefore, the very thing that's causing the cancer cells is not there when you have a miscarriage. All right, so that kind of explains that. But anyway, um, three of three major studies all showed this exact same thing, that they're, uh, the reduction of breast cancer with development of a child from 32 to 36 weeks. So, um, 
like I said, you just can't argue with this stuff. The risk of extreme premature birth after one, two, or three abortions, because some women, once they have one, oftentimes will have two or three, or in some cases more. If you have two, two abortions, you are 100% more likely premature birth. And the reason is, is because every time they have an abortion, what happens is, especially when they do this uh, dilation and evacuation, they call it, when they kill the baby inside, when they go in, they're damaging the, the uterus, they're damaging um, the uh, cervix, and it weakens it. And so as a result, they have premature birth because your, your cervix is weakened, and on your second birth then, there's a greater chance of it being premature for that reason. So every time they have an abortion, it causes that as well. So my point in bringing all this up, like I said, this was going to be a little weird tonight. And the reason I wanted to show you that, A, because I'm very pro-life. And I know that you guys here are as well. But what we do as a husband, as a wife, and how we take our roles as that husband and wife, it doesn't just affect our family. It affects our whole society. It affects your children. It affects your children's children. And breast cancer, those cells that can be, uh, if, if a, mo a mother has it, the daughter is more susceptible as well, isn't it? Okay, there are things that are going on in our DNA and all of these things that we don't understand, and yet, these are, you know, when the Bible talks about curses that are being passed on from generation to generation, there, there's some truth to that in, the very, in a physical realm, I believe. And these are the blessings that we have in following God's word. If women today understood the blessing it was to stay at home, to be a mother, to, to, to be a housewife, we would not have these things going on today. We would not have... The, the high numbers of breast cancer. We would not have the high numbers of divorce. We would not have the, the high numbers of um, broken families that we have today, where fathers are being Mr. Moms, and you can't do that. A father can never be a mother. They cannot replace it because I don't know what it is. Although I know when I was sick, I needed mom, not dad. I love my dad. My dad was there for me. I had a great father. But my dad could never replace my mom. And so I just hope that you women understand that when God gave us his commands in this, that this was a blessing, not a curse. And this is the very picture of what Christ is for us. Right? We are blessed when we walk in God's commandments, when we follow him. There are blessings in that. It isn't about salvation. Not at all. But there's blessings in, in following the roles that we have as Christians in our society. And so, like I said, a little different, but any questions or thoughts? Okay. Well, get that DVD, Hush, if you can find it. A documentary. It'll do a lot better job than what I was able to kind of relay here. They do all kinds of interviews, and they show you just, it, it's fantastic. It just came out, I think, about a year ago. So, yeah, it's been out for a little while, but, um, and it's, it comes out of Canada. No, you never hear anything about it. 
And it's probably one of the best ones I've seen that will go over this kind of thing and just show you. And by the way, it's not even done by a Christian. It's not even a Christian thing. Yeah. It's, uh, she's an atheist, actually. So, was... We can't claim bias on that. Cannot. She was even pro-choice. She is actually taking this from the perspective of being a woman's liver. The, the first part, that was not her. That was not Hush. So she's more of a woman's liver, and she's saying that if I'm really going to stand up for women, I have to stand up for what makes them healthy, not what's destroying them because we're being lied to. And so it's even coming from that perspective. Yeah. So, all right, well, we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that we can talk about these um, tough issues that shouldn't even be tough, but uh, that can be challenging for some people. And Lord, we are just grateful that you have given us your word because in, in that we see the blessings all over the place. Father, I pray for our wives. I pray that you would continue to give them a joy and a, uh, a fervent excitement about being mothers, about being wives. Lord, I know that um, it's a hard job that you have given them, but one that has blessings beyond compare. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would strengthen and encourage them. I pray for all of us husbands and men here as well, that we would love our wives as we are supposed to, not being dictators and, and not holding it over them, but rather loving and encouraging and strengthening them and, and letting them see the, the joys as well of, of their role. Let us love them as you love the church, that you would be willing to give your very life for them and that we too would be willing to do the same. That we would think of them above ourselves to serve and, and, and honor them as well. We love you and we thank you. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who has given us uh, forgiveness, redemption, through the blood shed on the cross for us. That you didn't um, come to just die and, and leave us alone, but that you re not only redeemed, but resurrected. And through that resurrection, you gave us your Holy Spirit at the ascension. And through all of these things, Lord, you tell us that we are never alone. Your word is always there. Your spirit is always there. And that you love us as we are supposed to love. And because of that, we know that no matter where we go, what we do, or what goes on in this crazy world, that we don't need to be afraid. But we can stand in joy. We can stand in boldness and assurance of salvation through the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah.